Dennis, we've heard of fake news before. Mm. Today you're going to talk to us about fake honey. Well, Mark, I said to you at the introduction of this program, when we talk about fake honey, this is nothing new. We have mentioned this on this program quite frequently over the years. Mm. It has been something that I have been well aware of, but a little bit guarded in saying anything too much about it. Now it's hit the news. And what I always knew and suspected is out there. Much of the honey that people are using has been shown to be what the media refers to as fake honey. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. Dennis, I know you want to get into this fake honey. Got some calls ready to go. Are you ready? Yes, we'll do the calls, of course. Do some calls. Good afternoon. Louise at Valentine, you've got a question for Dennis about probiotics for newborns. Yeah, hi, Dennis. Hello. Um, I just wanted to... We have a little girl who's just on six weeks old, and Mm. she was a couple of weeks early, and I just wonder, she's being both breastfed and formula-fed. She, yeah, she seems to have symptoms of, you know, the usual baby stuff of wind and, you know, um, upsetness and whatever. Mm. And I just wondered if probiotics are are, of any use in these circumstances. Look, I'm always very, very cautious about recommending... Uh, any supplements or uh, medication that isn't prescribed to 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 infants. As a father of four children, uh, and uh, I, I watched our family do very well uh, on breast milk and uh, yep. extended um, exposure to bre- breast milk, if you want to refer to it as that. Uh, my last yep. daughter particularly sort of hung on for, for so long. But I'm a great believer in trying to keep it as natural as possible. And, and if, sure. you're, if you're feeding that delightful little baby yourself, um, it, it puzzles me why um, you would really need to contemplate using a probiotic. Okay. I'd stick with I would stick with what you're doing, and based on my family experience, or I should say my wife's experience, um, try to keep the baby on the breast as long as possible. She gets everything that she needs, and her immunity is reinforced as a result of being on the breast. Um, that's good enough. That's nature at its best. We don't need to be coerced or encouraged to use things that have not been used historically. And uh, plenty of kids around the world are raised exactly the same as you're raising your child on the breast, then onto good tucker. Dennis, it sounds like child number four really took you up on that idea. Oh, of look, that, for that's, my, that's my daughter, Melanie, delightful lady, school teacher now, but she hung on right till the end. But interestingly, and how, this, how old was Melanie? Oh, about two. But <laughs> okay. interestingly, I'll tell the I'll tell the listeners a little story about this that will encourage them. Uh, uh, when Melanie was a, a baby, probably about or ooh, about nine to twelve months of age, um, she came back from Terrigal Beach. Very hot day with my wife, and everything seemed to be all right. But in the morning, she woke up with a very rigid, stiff neck, and uh, we took her straight to to Gosford Hospital, where she was uh, diagnosed with uh, meningitis and uh, bacterial meningitis, which is a pretty serious disease. Um, the paediatrician that um, treated her, we knew him very well, an excellent man. I don't know if Jeff is in this country now. I think he went to, to England. But uh, he put her on the appropriate antibiotic. But the interesting thing was that my wife uh, stayed in Gosford Hospital, I think it was up two weeks while she was being uh, treated with antibiotics, and my wife breastfed her all the way through the episode. 
and the paediatrician and the nursing staff as well as our family believed that it was the reinforcement of Melanie's um, health and immunity that she received uh, from being fed by my wife that uh, gave us such a good outcome. As you said, mm. nature at its best, Dennis. Nature at its best. Yeah. Good Good afternoon, Elizabeth. You're at Caves Beach and your mum has got some issues with urinary tract infections. Uh, oh, hi, Dennis. Mum is 83 and yes. she's constantly having urinary tract yes. infections. Yes. And... Um, I'm sure there's a herb that you've said yes. before that will yes. get and, it straight away, but and, I couldn't look, remember I, I can, what it was. I, I can say this very confidently. Um, the herb that I frequently recommend and will continue to recommend because it is so useful is a, is a herb called buku, B-U-C-H-U, buku. Okay, it, so where it, would you get that? Okay, look, it's not an easy um, herb to get hold of, so uh-huh. she, she would probably have to go to my dispensary Probably. It's okay. Such, it's such a, uh, how can you put it? Many, many herbs today are out there because they're popular herbs. They've got a lot of promotion behind them. They purport to do all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, but a lot of the great remedies, remedies that are used for genuine uh, health conditions and diseases, such as recurring urinary tract infections, they're not that popular um, yeah. and, and people don't know about them. So buku is mm-hmm. not... Is not uh, an easily procured herb, it is available. It comes simply, very simply, as a tea, and one makes. Oh, a tea! Now it comes as, as buku, a dried herb. All oh, right. And, and yep. One, yep. one makes what's called an infusion or a tea from it. Yep. And one takes, say, one to three cups of that a day. There's a very significant science as to how buku works. It contains what's called an essential oil, and when you when you break the leaf of buku. And when you make the buku tea, I suggest to all my patients and clients that they crush it well, because when you crush it, it exposes the leaf and the active chemistry in it uh, more to the to the to the boiling water than otherwise. But when you break it, you will notice it has a very fragrant, almost peppermint aroma. That's the presence of the essential oil, which mm-hmm. has a, which has an antiseptic effect as it passes through the urinary system and kills antibact or kills bacteria. Now, if your grandmother was to use or your mum was to use buku tea and, mm-hmm. and reinforce it yep. with, with a cranberry tablet, say, from your health food store right. and drink plenty of water, yep. I, I would be most, most surprised if that didn't help your dear mum. Okay, well, I'll try that. Yep. Now, can I ask one more question? Yes. Mum um, is, has got AFib and she's been on um, various... Um, yes. Blood thinners, and they can't, she's got dreadful side effects, blotches yes. on her legs, yes. and all these dreadful things. And she was wanting to get off those and do it naturally. Well, look, you have to be careful there with with atrial fibrillation. The reason that she's on um, blood thinners, as your doctor has obviously told you, is that there is the risk of a clot forming. Yeah. Uh, and that can be very, very nasty. Um, on the other hand, I understand the distress that you're referring to. Some people yeah. do uh, suffer adversity when they're given them. Um, what I'd do is open up a dialogue yeah. with your GP. There are a, a number of different drugs that are used uh, yeah. to address this. Um, interestingly, patients that I see uh, vary uh, in, in as much that some of them are on uh, simple aspirin-based medication, right, right through. Is, that, to pre- is that like Noten, Dennis? No, Noten is a beta blocker, 
And, oh, okay, because she said she would like to go off this one and go back on that one. Noton is, is entirely different in its working. Okay. Noton is there to regulate the rhythm of the heart. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a beta blocker, and mum not, mum not in any way at all uh, interfere with that if the doctor is prescribed it because that's attempting yeah. to lessen yeah. the atrial fibrillation. If, yeah. mu- if mum is having a distress with the, uh, with the blood thinner, so to speak, open up a dialogue with your GP and talk about the possibilities that exist yeah. for attenuating this problem. Yeah, because I read magnesium and turmeric no, and no, garlic no, and no, onions no, and all no, these cinnamon. No, no. no. All, huh? all, all of those would have, all of those would have some mild potential to address that. But, but in, not enough. In no way. And this is what I was saying earlier, that uh, some products are in health food stores and pharmacies and uh, all over the place make claims which need to be interpreted as far as uh, what those claims purport to address. Uh-huh. And whilst things like uh, garlic and things like that have some very, very minimal effect on the blood profile, you, mm-hmm. cannot, you cannot substitute <clears throat> those natural things for yep. the sort of prescription medication that mum oh, is okay. using. Now, that, that gets... <laughs> that, look, that gets me into trouble in my profession because they say, oh, Dennis Stewart, he's not a naturopath. He recommends too many drugs and he supports. No, it's not that at all. Yeah. Dennis Stewart is a natural I, therapist. I want honesty because I just love and, it. And look, you, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a straight, I'm a straight shooter and I have no problem in, yeah. in telling listeners that I'm on a pharmaceutical. So, you know, no, you, you, your dear mum is being well cared for. I understand the treatment and uh, I would open up a discussion on her worry, and that is what is happening to the fragility of her skin, and I'm sure that can be worked out. Elizabeth, if you can just stay on the line for a moment, we'll get a little bit more information to you on the Buku Tea. And Dennis, not a bad idea. What do you think? We'll get some Buku Tea and we'll make a couple of scones. Do you think? I think it's an idea. Do you think? I think it had what that peppermint aroma. I like the sound of that. You don't suffer UTIs, do you? No, but, but what a peppermint tea. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no? Dennis says no. <laughs> couple of scones and said all right with more of your calls if you've got a health question health naturally with dennis stewart dennis in a moment we will we will get on to fake honey but you uh, you believe me you reckon (laughs) lots wouldn't in the moment though jackie you're waiting by at ashton field and you've also got a question for dennis about urinary tract this afternoon hello jackie yes hello dennis how are you i'm well jackie how are you Fine, thank you. Uh, listen, the caller you had before, Elizabeth, yeah. asked the same question I was going to ask yes, you, so yes. I have taken a notice of that book of tea. That's B-U-C-H-U, is it? Yes. Now, sometimes um, you will also note on the package, and it's wise to look for it also, the botanical name, which is Barosma, B-A-R-O-S-M-A. B-R-A? B-A-R-O-S-M-A. Barosma. Right. Okay, thank you. And that, that's the botanical name for it, so there can be no confusion. And I say that because occasionally um, herbs have a common name that can be shared with other herbs, but every herb has a botanical name. And at the end of the day, that's the most accurate way of identifying the product. If you look for Buku, it will probably also have on it Barosma betulina. We might see if we can get one more call in, Dennis. Uh, mm. Debbie at Bullaroo, you're looking for a, cre- uh, a cream to assist after treatment of skin cancer. Yes, that's correct. Hello. Hello, what, Dennis. What, what, I've, what, what, I've currently been using Effudex treatment on my face yes. at the moment, yeah. um, and like my face is quite raw and, and splitting and, and 
quite horrible, actually, and yeah. painful. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping you could advise me on something that I could use to help treat it, to help the healing. What, would you, did you have a basal cell, did you? Yes, okay. yeah. Look, I had a basal cell carcinoma, and it was uh, effectively managed uh, for a couple of weeks. Everything didn't look too pleasant, but... Now my wife tells me I'm just as ugly as I always have been. So <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a little bit cautious about hastening too quickly. Have you discussed the outcome and the and the uh, the appearance with the uh, with the practitioner that did the job for you? Yes, my doctor's very pleased with the results. Okay. So okay. Um, it's just like the redness, and obviously my face is peeling. Yeah. So she's sort of suggested now that I start putting some moisturiser on and stuff to help heal the process up. Well, look, I think that's not bad advice. I think that any particular cream that you use would probably not do much better than your own healing processes, which are already underway, with a moisturiser that your doctor has sensibly recommended. I think I'd just go with that. Um, I would not want to suggest anything because anything topical, even from the natural world, there's always the possibility of a reaction. And with a procedure like you've had, everything you do, I suggest, should be monitored and and. Uh, yeah, monitored and agreed with by your GP. Thank you so much, Debbie. And, and Dennis, I'm not going to agree with your wife by any means, but I will just only as such to say that you actually look the same as you always do. Oh, so is, is, is it really? Yeah. Well, you've just got is, new is glasses, though, haven't you? No, I've had these. I've been wearing these for a year. Okay. But thank you for noticing, Dennis. <laughs> as we continue with Dennis Stewart and Health Naturally, Dennis, today it is all about fake honey. Now, you have mm. shared some concerns on this program and beyond mm. for, for quite a while that you believe mm. they're there's a, a bit of a scam when it comes to honey. What is it that really concerns you and what, what, what can well, separate the fact from I, fiction? I think the first thing we need to take on board is that not all Australian is fake honey. For sure. And I think that's a negative thing that might come out of some of the recent uh, publications and statements. There are some, in fact, probably the majority of packers and processors of honey in this country are doing the right thing and that their product is sound. But there is no doubt that, and the media has exposed it, that there are products or have been products on our supermarket shelves which purport to be uh, honey, which have been shown to be, in fact, adulterated with other substances. And this is where the term fake honey has emerged. And look, it's not just happening here in Australia. It's happening around the world. And honey is one of the top ten products that are associated with what are called food scams, which are a $50 billion industry around the world. So we're not on our own. We've always, or we who are in the beekeeping industry, have always known about this, but we've been a little bit reserved for obvious reasons in saying anything about it. Now it has been shown, and I'm looking at headlines in, a local, in the Sydney Morning Herald on the, on the business page weeks, a couple of days ago, buying fake honey is as simple as a Google search away. So it's broken. The story's broken. But I come back to the point that this does not imply that everything in Australia is like that. A percentage of Australian products have been caught out, and I believe a lot of this is associated with perhaps ignorance on the part of some of those that are producing the product. I'm guessing two things mm. there. Firstly, the point you make that we don't want everybody to be alarmist and say that oh, all honey is Correct. is dodgy or Correct. is is, is not what it purports to be. So there's that out of the way. But there are some, I guess, some concerns because if you're not aware of what uh, the how 
if you're not aware that you're eating fake honey, I guess, there could be some health deficiencies there if you're buying a product mm. for a particular health benefit. Absolutely. And, and look, this is my major concern. I, I believe that honey, it's a food certainly, but I've always argued and promoted the viewpoint that honey is also medicine. And a lot of my work in practice, in naturopathic practice, is in fact harnessing the potential of honey, pure, unadulterated, raw honey. Now, I'm not going to get any effect in my honey ointment if I'm using a fake honey because it won't have the multiple number of constituents that pure, unadulterated honey has that allows that honey ointment to be able to heal a terrible ulcer. I'm not going to get it because, technically speaking, is not honey... It is honey that has been adulterated and might have glycerin or something else in it. My concern is that when I'm recommending, say, to someone, uh, look, why don't you use honey uh, in, in a mouthwash to address, to address gum disease as part of a treatment? I'm not going to confidently recommend that if I know that the honey that they're going to get is fake honey and hasn't got the ability to do the job that the literature says it can do. That's what worries me more than anything else. You have heard me say on this program, Mark, use honey, a tablespoonful at night, to help you sleep. Correct. Now, my concern is that that recommendation is prefaced on the belief that the honey that that person purchases will be pure honey that will sustain the claims that are made for pure honey. Fake honey can't do that. So why, how have we ended up where we are, Dennis? Do you think that there has been uh, a, a lapse on those that regulate food and mm. that potentially could have allowed these things to happen? Oh. As we see it over again. Look, it's, it's a very difficult topic to get into and one doesn't want to get too political about it. Sure. Um, it's a multiple thing. It could come down to uh, lack of honey supplies at a particular time led to the purchasing of honey from overseas, which was genuinely thought to be honey, but then found to be, in fact, um, a mishmash of everything. It could come down to uh, some packages try to keep their prices down because production of honey in Australia is more expensive than what it might be, say, in Argentina or in China. Uh, regulatory authorities may not be using, I can't vouch for this, it's only an opinion, may not be using state-of-the-art detection material, but I tell you what... Uh, everything has been stimulated by this, and uh, there's so much information now that I think this has brought everything to, to the head. And what I hope it will do more than anything is stimulate the Australian honey industry to get out there and say how good it is with the product that we produce. Uh, we'll continue talking about honey in a moment. And on that, Simon, I hope you're still hanging on the line there. You've been there for a while at Singleton. You have a question for Dennis about local honey production. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, the health benefits of local honey. I've heard the um, like the local honey, especially with young children. I'm from around Singleton area, and yes. yeah, I've, I've heard it. You know, immunity-wise, it, it boosts everything when it's the, the local stuff. That the local stuff. Yeah, local honey. Oh look, I'm I'm a honey producer. I have have hives on my property at, at Rockbury and hives in my backyard at Cessnock. So I'm I'm a, I'm a believer that honey can be useful. Uh, in children's conditions as well as adult conditions, there's a, a little bit a little bit of concern about giving honey to uh, to infants or to babies. Um, uh, the, the possibility that 
what, what's known as botulism could be passed on to the child. It, it's not something that I recommend, for instance, like dipping a, a, a dummy in honey and then putting it in the baby's mouth. There's a bit of a reservation about using honey at that stage in a child's development, but uh, my kids were raised on using honey in, in, in cough syrups uh, for immunity purposes, um, and I believe the honey that we produce in the Hunter region where you are has stood the test of time, and I would, be, I would have no reservations about using it on my children. Thank you very much, Simon. We've got another honey question. Now, oh. Alan, you're standing by Brunkerville. Now, your wife is a bit of an artisan creator when it comes to food. She has this mix of uh, homegrown garlic infused in honey. What, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Good yeah. afternoon, Alan. Hi, Dennis. Hello. How are you going? I'm well indeed. I'm glad to see your wife is doing something there with, with honey and garlic. Yeah, we're growing some garlic. This is a bit of a hobby. You know, now, are, you, and, um, are you growing it as you come down the hill on the right-hand yeah. side? Yeah, uh, that's right. I've been watching that as we've come oh, back. Oh, have you? Yeah, I've seen you there. In fact, I was, you, was, you was in there last weekend and I was going to go to stop. That's right. And, and my, uh, I didn't know whether you were growing garlic or onion. I said, yeah, I'd like to stop there, but I had a team of... Uh, of trendies coming from Sydney to the to the to the, to the vineyards, and they, oh, yeah, they, they go like and... they go like a rocket. So, but uh, look, uh, that, what what you're actually doing um, is is fascinating because uh, in the pharmacopoeia, the old pharmacopoeias, there are what are called uh, oxybells, O X Y M E L. Now, oxybells are basically honey-based preparations. So there was, for instance, an oxymel of whorehound which was used for coughs. Um, there was a preparation, Oxybel of Squill. I actually used that in my career many years ago, which was a famous preparation for dealing with very deep-seated and serious respiratory congestions. So what your wife's really doing is making an Oxybel of garlic, and I think you would find, in fact, if you, um, if you contact my rooms, I'll be happy to give you the formula for the oxybel oh, of, gar- of the oxybel of garlic, I'm sure I've got it in one of my uh, brochures from one of my lectures. So the oxymel of garlic would be an excellent preparation, uh, a, a boutique preparation, in my opinion, that would give it the potential to address uh, very confidently respiratory infections. Keeping in mind that, that that garlic is a proven agent for dealing with infection in the chest and the lungs. So an oxymel an oxybel of garlic, you're on the money, contact me and I'll see if I can get the formula so that you can actually label it up as oxybel of garlic. Yeah. I also reckon, Alan, I also reckon, Alan, the next time Dennis drives past, if he sees you out there hard at work, he will stop by. (laughs) If you you notice half a row of your garlic gone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, don't say that. No, I know know where you live and I've watched you put it in. I've watched you turn it over. So well done, mate. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Alan. We're going to have a a quick change of pace. Dennis, uh, Peter's standing by at Fassifern. He has a question for you about Gokloma. Good afternoon, Peter. Oh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dennis. Hello, Peter. Um, uh, only a question. Uh, look, oh, I've had glaucoma for yes, 20, 25 yes, years yes, now. Yes. Very happy with my specialist. Good, I'm on the good. two drops night yes, and yes, morning. Yep, yep, good. All that. I'm holding at about 16 uh, oh, pressures. That's good. And I have been down to 12. Yes. I just want to know, I'm taking bilberry. Uh, yes. I got that information yes. from you last yes. year. Yep. Yep. What other things do you think I could be popping in? I'm, I'm naked okay. next birthday, okay. just to make sure that I'm, I'm well, look, prime in the eye. I have, I have two uh, patients that have been on my books probably for 20 years. 
they uh, are glaucoma sufferers being very well managed by their <coughs> ophthalmologist. But they have, as well as taking the uh, the uh, the bilberry, which I think is a very useful uh, agent to take for this, they have taken what are called mixed bioflavonoids. Yeah. Uh, now, bioflavonoids, you would have heard me talk about these on the yep. program. They're natural substances. They're harmless substances. In fact, the the active constituents of the of the uh, bilberry is in fact what's called an anthocyanidin and that is a particular bioflavonoid but there are a bracket of much larger uh, named bioflavonoids and they usually they usually come in names like of flavor blend flavor mix and and they include bioflavonoids such as rutin quercetin they usually come with a bit of vitamin c those uh, a couple of patients and i see one of them uh, regularly, every Thursday he comes in to buy my honey. Um, they have not gone off those, and their IOPs remain very, very stable. And look, it, it, the, this may not have had anything to do with the wellness that they're experiencing, but I believe that taking the, the bilberry and mixed bioflavonoids is a useful way of reinforcing perhaps uh, what your therapist is doing. Thank you very much, uh, Peter. We'll continue with uh, more of Dennis's discussion on fake honey and uh, maybe some more calls. Dennis, you've been a very mm. popular individual this afternoon. I'll see you back. It must you, be. You've revved it up. That must be what it is. It's your haircut. Uh, did you like the new oh, haircut? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, re- it really sets you up. About 13 hours old, this one. Is it really? Okay. <laughs> we'll come back. Okay. If you've got a question, a health-related question about, uh, I don't know, honey, glaucoma, haircuts, whatever it is, Dennis will answer those questions for you on the way up to 1 o'clock as health naturally continues. Dennis, just before we continue with more of your program, uh, there was a book that you mentioned about honey, and, in fact, Simon rang back and said, look, can you just name the book that... Uh, you've been talking about this afternoon. Look, it's it's probably the text uh, called The New Honey Revolution. I'll say it again slowly. Uh, a book entitled The New Honey Revolution. Uh, it's written by an American doctor, Ron Fessenden, F-E-S-S-E-N-D-E-N. Ron Fessenden, MD, an American doctor. This work would have to be the most credible, up-to-date, uh, scientific work on honey that I've read and I've read a lot on honey. Uh, anyone after reading this that is that is still cynical about the claims that are made for honey, well, I'd give up. Um, that's, uh, that's that's a pretty strong endorsement. I'd give up. It's a, because it's so sensible, so rational um, that and, and it supports a lot of what I've been saying because that text, along with others, has fed me information that I've been able to use clinically in harnessing honey in ways that 20, 30 years ago when I started using honey seriously, I would have been laughed out of court. But I was finding then the benefits of honey. Nowadays, I'm not being laughed out of court as much. And Ron Fessenden's book, written by a a, a specialist doctor, is worthwhile reading. And anyone who's interested in honey, growing honey, making claims for honey, Using it in practice even, read The New Honey Revolution by Ron Fessenden. Back with Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart. Change of pace. Good afternoon, Kathleen. Advice, you have a question about shingles? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I've had shingles for nearly five weeks now. Mm-hmm. And um, I still have the rash and I still have quite a lot of pain. Okay. And I was just wondering, is Help. there anything... 
have I the think uh, all you can rub on your skin. Have, have the bliss have the blisters disappeared? Actually, I'm fairly confident my rash hasn't actually blistered at all. It doesn't look any different. I haven't actually seen blisters like uh, like chicken pox blisters okay. or anything like that on the rash. Were, were you given medication when they first occurred? Um, it was after the 72-hour day. It was um, more like about four days okay. after. So yeah. I did take the medication, but I didn't start it that within might, the that, time. Okay. That might have had some impact on lessening the the, um, the assertion of the condition. The, the What you're experiencing now is what's called post-hepatic neuralgia. It's a, a very common scenario when you've had um, shingles or herpes zoster. Um, there, there is. A, where did it affect you? Um, on my left side, um, sort of from just in front of my hip, um, round to um, my back, back side, sort of in my hip, okay. and on the top, just on the top of my leg as well. Okay. So. Look, there is a preparation, but if you're going to use it, you would need to get a little bit of uh, advice, um, either from your pharmacy, who would uh, give it to you, or your GP, who. Uh, might like to make a comment on it. There's a preparation called Zostrix. Yep. Z-O-S-T-R-I-X, Zostrix. Now, it is, as far as I'm aware, labelled for post-hepatic neuralgia. You have to be a little bit cautious because it might burn initially, and that's why I asked you where you had the lesions because if you had them facially or anywhere like that, it would be probably inappropriate. Um, Mm. See your pharmacist. Uh, indicate to him where the where the rash or the lesion is, and let yep. your pharmacist make the decision as to whether or not it, it is appropriate. The fact that there are no blisters tends to be in your favour, but get it looked at or recommended by, by your pharmacist. Thank you very much, Kathleen Bruce. You're standing by at uh, Rutherford, and you've got a question for Dennis about honey production. Yes, it is. Some beekeepers, when blossoms are a bit scarce, yes. feed bees uh, sugar water yes, solution. Yes, would that yes. help? That wouldn't be proper honey either, would it? Uh, what what the bee would do with that is use that as starting material for honey. In other words, yeah. that, um, what it what it functions as is a source of food for the bee to then process it and convert it into honey. So the the end product, the end product from the hive, is honey, albeit along the way, one source of nutrition has been um, a syrup uh, that has incorporated um, sugar. That's a fairly um, well known way of helping a hive in times that are really uh, you know poorly supported by a lot of uh, a lot of flora. So the pr- end product is honey. Uh, and it would not be fake honey. And that book, Dennis, could I think it's available at the farmers market on a Sunday. One of the aprons sell oh, great. sell that book. That's and look, I would recommend to to all beekeepers to get out there. And my closing comments, because I have to shut the program down now. Mark tells me, but in the last ten years or so, in the last ten years or so, there has been a loss of twenty five percent of beekeepers to the industry. 25% fewer beekeepers are out there now at a commercial level making honey and 25% of beehives or colonies no longer exist as a result of the slowdown 
and the reduction in beekeeping activity in Australia. And a lot of that has been driven by the fact the Australian beekeeper has had a great deal of difficulty in competing price-wise with honey products, some of which are fake honey, which are much cheaper. My comment would be this, pay the bit extra. Go for the Australian product, whether it's on the supermarket shelf or, in my opinion, preferably at the farmer's market, because everything that I've said about honey, and I reiterate it, and its claims for benefit, is based on pure, raw, unadulterated Australian honey. Dennis, perfect timing. There We're you done. Go. All right, mate. Go. Thanks for that. And a very interesting topic. And like you said, it is has been in the news. Yeah. Um, so we had to have a look at it. That this was a good week. discussion. You did well, Mark. Oh, I added very little, Dennis. Thank you very much for your time, as always. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at twonurfm.com. dot